Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Word of God for our study this Sunday is our second lesson, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. It's printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear friends in Christ, what a year, huh? Many of us are happy to see it in the rearview mirror. The politics have been divisive. And while the economy as a whole has been humming nicely, there are still many who are struggling. In our personal lives, there have been losses, disappointments, failures, illnesses, and griefs. And spiritually, well, while God has been constant with His grace and mercy, we we have not done so well with our love for Him and for our neighbor, or, or even with our commitments to the things that strengthen and nurture our faith. So, with only a few days left in 2019, many are happy to say, it's history, and move on to 2020. But here's the thing. Even if 2019 was the best year you have ever had, full of happiness, successes, and good things, by Wednesday morning at 12.01 a.m., it will still be history. All in the past, never to come again. We can say the same thing about the the twenty-teens, although to be chronologically precise, the decade doesn't properly end for another year yet. But anything that is past is history, whether we liked it or not, whether we want more of it or not. You may wish to have your youth back, or that you never had a certain bad relationship. You may look at your cute children and wish they'd never grow up. You may look at your disobedient children and wish they'd grow up faster. Whatever it is, the passage of time something that we cannot change to suit what we want. The future comes when it comes, the present is here, and the past is over and done with its history. That's actually pretty much a definition, though, isn't it? History is the past, the past is history. Yet there is something very important that we always want to remember about it. It's not just that God was with you, with grace and mercy in the year that has passed, it's that God has been constantly active through all years that have passed and will be active in all years left to come. He not only created time, He rules over it. And not just as some kind of neutral or or impotent observer, but as master and designer making sure that what needs to happen for his people and his plan actually happens just as he has determined. And it always does, because he is almighty. And it is always the right thing, because he is perfectly wise and he perfectly loves us. That's the big summary point that the Apostle Paul is making in the very first verse, really the very first phrase of our text. When the set time had fully come, God sent His Son. 
just as a father lovingly and prudently waits for the right time to entrust a son with some responsibility or family secret or special privilege, so God watched over all of history, promising, caring, acting, moving, until everything was in place and his plan was ripe. And then he sent his son into the world to save the world. Now, you can appreciate that without knowing the details, but it inspires awe and wonder when you actually consider the details. The Lord made the first promise of a Savior to Adam and Eve. That was passed down from generation to generation, but there came a time when the world had become so wicked and violent that there was almost no one left to pass the promise on to. And so God acted. He preserved faithful Noah and his family and destroyed the godless and the evil in the flood. And after Noah, God made sure to preserve faith in one family and even promised one man that from his descendants all the people of the earth would be blessed. He told Abraham that the Savior would come from his line. And the things that God had to do not only to to keep Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and all that followed safe, but also to preserve them in spite of their own frequent mistakes, missteps, and bad decisions, often faithless ones, are what make the historical books of the Bible fascinating. Now, the promise of a Savior is repeated to King David, the promise that the, this time that the Messiah would come from his line and would sit on an eternal throne. And this meant that the Lord would act to preserve that line despite the unfaithfulness of kings and others in it, despite the attacks of Ammonites, Arameans, and Assyrians, despite the best efforts of empires like the Babylonians, Persians, and Greeks, and despite the behind-the-scenes manipulations of Satan who opposed God's plans at every point and with all his might. But it was not just that God protected the right people until exactly the right people came along. God arranged so much more of history to bring his plan of salvation to completion and make it fruitful. The likely no Jew of the time would have considered the rule of the Romans to be good for their people. By raising up the Roman Empire, the Lord made sure of little details that fulfilled the prophecies of their Messiah, like the census that would bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem and the Roman cross upon which Jesus would be lifted up. But God also made sure of big things through the Roman Empire, like having the whole Mediterranean world under the rule of law and safe for travel, so that the message of salvation in the crucified and risen Jesus could be spread far and wide in a very short time. Paul's status as a Roman citizen, for instance, protected him on more than one occasion when when people opposed to the gospel message wanted to kill him. 
And the fact that the Greek language had become the common tongue for commerce and communication meant that once the books of the New Testament were written, they and their message could be not only spread but understood wherever the earlier Greek and now Roman empires ever ruled. It's history. But we praise God that it's His history. He ruled over it all with one primary purpose, to bring our Savior, His Son, into the world to deliver sinners from sin, death, and Satan. To make sure, to give us the opportunity privilege, the joy to say of every threat from our soul, every threat to our souls and salvation from all of those enemies, to be able to say of sin, death, and Satan, their history. The same way that the hero in a thriller talks about the terrorists he has just dispatched, or a district attorney might talk about serial killers who have been caught, convicted, and executed. Their history. How? Paul here explains it in a unique way, comparing free sons and bound slaves. And he ties it all to Christmas by referring to Christ's birth. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son to be born of a woman. This wasn't just an interesting plot point in the story of Jesus. It was essential to our salvation. Because the Son of God in His divinity could never actually be subject to God's law. But the Savior that we needed had to be under the law in order both to obey it perfectly in our place and to suffer its just punishments when He took on our sins. And so He had to be born of a woman, to be Mary's son as well as God's son. And that meant then that we sinners would be able to become God's sons and daughters as well. Not in the natural way as Jesus was born of Mary, but by adoption, by God's declaration and choice. He does this because of what Christ did for us. He offered up His perfect life as a sacrifice for His sins, and with His death on the cross, He wiped out all our sin, all our guilt, all our trespasses, iniquities, all the evil that we had done, all the good that we had left undone. By doing that, it meant that death no longer has any claim on us, Hell no longer awaits us and the devil no longer has anything to bind us to him. With Christ's resurrection, it is made clear. Not only does God now declare us innocent in his eyes for his son's sake, we have the assurance that we will rise and live eternally just as Jesus rose and lives eternally. We have this all by faith in Christ and what He did for us. And we have faith because the Holy Spirit has entered our hearts through the gospel and the means of grace 
and brought us to trust in Jesus and all He has done. This faith is not something merely intellectual or or academic. It is deep, emotional, and, and, and real, allowing us to address the holy and almighty Creator and Lord of the universe, not in fear and apprehension as your exalted majesty, but with boldness and confidence as favored children. Father, my dear Father, who loves me. Which means that our previous status as slaves to sin, death, and Satan is history. We are free redeemed by God's Son, and we are not just set loose in the streets, but made a part of God's family. That changes things, doesn't it? There is no reason, as a son or daughter of God, as an heir of eternal life and all the treasures of heaven, no reason to to go back to living as a slave, to treating temptations as things that you need to give in to to identifying yourself with some sinful lie or lifestyle instead of with your Savior, to giving in to evil when you encounter it among your peers or in the wider world. That's not you anymore. Nor is there any reason to live again as a slave to the law, acting as though it's up to you to earn your own salvation through your own obedience. You know now that that's both futile and unnecessary. Christ has done everything for you. There's nothing left for you to do. You are no longer under those obligations. The old you, that slave, is history. Now you are God's dear child with Jesus as your brother and heaven as your... So live in that freedom. Free from sin. Free to do the things that you could never do before. To to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Recognize that the joy that we hear about and sing about and experience at Christmas is a joy that is not limited to one time a year. It's a joy that never ends. It's your permanent possession because you are an heir of God through Christ because God sent His Son to be born of a woman and that Son has redeemed you. Your life is now one that is characterized by by service to God, to, to His church and to your neighbor. That is what you have been called to and characterized also by love and hope and peace and excitement. You now have the privilege to do what our first lesson spoke of, to tell about the Lord's mercies, about the praises of the Lord, about all that the Lord has done for us. This is the new you. And since God's grace never runs out, we know that yesterday's sins, not even today's sins, mean that we lose our identity or place in His family. We repent of them. We trust in Him. And He forgives us. 
again and again for His Son's sake. His mercies are new every morning and for you. New day, new year, new you. God's own child, redeemed, chosen, beloved, heir of heaven. That's who you are now. Rejoice. Amen. Please rise. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.